All right, so we are going to try to finish uh, cultivating the heart of a disciple. Now, I mentioned, especially in GroupMe, and I threw it out on Instagram too, um, that this, I feel, is like probably the most important lesson out of this whole thing. Like, this is one of those lessons that um, really serves as a foundation for if you really want to know what it means to be a disciple— and in your life, you truly want to be a disciple, then you have got to get this stuff. Like you've you've got to get this because it's going to be impossible for you to move on to the next stuff. Because we're going to be talking about like some of you wanted to know, um, you know, how do I witness to my friends? How do I start conversations? Uh, how do I overcome sin in my life? Um, you know, how do I how do I be a better disciple in general? How do I how do I minister to people? We're going to do a whole section on like how to even minister to people, how to be a good minister and how to care for people. We've not done something like that in the senior high yet, so I want to tackle that and talk about some of those concepts. But in order to do those things, you've got to have the right heart attitude. And this goes for basically everything in the Christian life. Is If you struggle with getting in your Bible daily, it's because you have a heart attitude that is not right. If you struggle with prayer, it's because you have a heart attitude towards God that's not right. If you struggle with being faithful in discipleship or being faithful to open your mouth when you have opportunities to speak, it's because your heart's not right. And so everything comes back down to the heart. A lot of people want to focus on the outward. They want to focus on, well, I don't read my Bible because I'm too busy. No, you can make time for it. Uh, I don't pray because I'm just not used to it. Okay, well then just start somewhere. Like all these are just excuses. It comes back down to your heart. And there are some times like between me and God that I just have to have an open, honest conversation with God. Um, I had one of those this past week, and it had been way too long since I had had one of those open, just brutally honest conversations between me and God where he began to change my heart on some stuff. And I needed to have that, and I need to have those more often. Um, it changes everything. It's not enough, and I've told you guys this before, it's not enough just to pray to God silently in your head. It's just, it's not enough. I mean, you can do that, but the, it changes things in your prayer life when you are willing to openly just speak to God, and it's not just in your head silently. There's something different about when you just start talking to God, like I'm driving down the road, and I'm on my way to work, or I'm on my way to this other place, and or on my way to a lunch appointment, or whatever, and I just shut off the radio and I'm driving and I just start talking to God about stuff that's on my heart and things that I'm struggling with and things that I'm having a hard time with and things that I'm it changes things dramatically now for sure the first time you do it you're going to feel strange and weird right or if you are driving in a car and you do something like that you have people that are going to be next to you at stoplights or whatever and they're going to think that you're crazy but that's okay because I've seen crazier people sing stupid songs next to me at the red lights and it doesn't mean anything, right? So it's one of these things that you've got to, you've just got to get you've got to do it. You've got to do it. If you really want to improve your prayer life, that is one easy thing that if you start doing it will immediately change things in your life. Immediately. But it all comes back down to your heart. Everything comes back down to your heart. And so we spent some time last week talking about the first point here, um, listening. Uh, so if you have your notes from last week, you can go ahead and, and you know pull those out and start continuing your notes there. I'll just give you the quick blanks for those that you were not here last week. But you have to be a listener. You've got to learn how to listen. And that means learning to live a repentant life. So you have to start living a lifestyle of understanding that more often than not, you are wrong about almost everything in your life. And it's, it's weird, but that I say that that way on purpose. 
is that more often than not in your life you are most likely wrong about things and that God is the one that is right you are the one that's wrong and so once you start getting that into your thinking then when it comes to the decisions that you make and this may sound weird to you but this is what I mean like if you're going to make a decision like for example if this is your senior year and you're starting to think about what you're going to do after school whatever it is that you're fairly confident about I want you to hesitate. I want you to hesitate about that decision. And I want you to take it to God and say, God, is this what you want me to do? Because most of the time, people just don't hesitate. They have, you know, a good sense of confidence about whatever decision that it might be, whether it's that or a job that they are going to take or someone that they're going to pursue in a dating relationship or uh, maybe, you know, certain classes they're going to take for that particular year at school or whatever. Whatever that is that you're fairly confident about, you need to start getting into the habit of hesitating in your decisions and starting to doubt yourself. Does that sound strange to you at all that I would be telling you that and that would be part of my advice to you? <laughs> start doubting your decisions and take them to God and say, God, is this really what you want me to do? Because this is what I want to do, but is this what you want me to do? That is a golden piece of advice that will help you greatly in life. Now, there are times to make decisions and to make quick decisions. But things that are going to be uh, things that are going to be consequences for years and years and years in your future, you better hesitate and you better doubt. You've got to because it will change everything about your life and who you're around and the things you're doing and things you're not doing and the people that you're not around. I mean, it's a big, big decision. So in your life, start getting a pattern in your life of being so dependent upon God that you are almost living a life where you want God to make the decisions for you. Um, that is very, very important. And so this means that you have to have a selfless, repentant heart attitude. That it's not about you, it's about God. It's not about what you want, it's about what God wants. That is the beginning stages of being a disciple. Until you come there, you're not going to be able to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And it begins at salvation. A person cannot be saved until they understand that they are a sinner and they are broken and they deserve to go to hell. If you have never come to that place on your own where you know that that's you... Beyond the shadow of a doubt, not just something that you say to acknowledge it, but something that you know deep inside your heart that you are severely flawed and broken. There's something wrong with you, that you are a sinner, and that you deserve to go to hell to be separated from God for all eternity, that you know that. Then that's when you have the right heart attitude to call upon the Lord for salvation. Um, you've got to come to that place. Most people don't want to go there because they think they're fairly good and because they compare themselves with other people. And they say, well, at least I'm not that person. That's not it at all. You could, be, you could live a perfect life from birth until death and make one mistake and you deserve to go to hell. People don't think in those terms. They think comparatively. They think, well, at least I'm better than that person. It's mm -mm. not how God sees things at all. At all. And so it begins at salvation and repentance should continue throughout the life of a disciple. Uh, it should be all over your life. Uh, you are saved by being humble and admitting that you're wrong and God is right. And then that same pattern should continue for the rest of your life if you want to be fruitful. And then true repentance will always produce a hatred and abandonment of sin. And so then we ask these questions based on those points. Would other people say that you're selfless, humble, and teachable? Would they, honestly? Do you hate sin or do you tend to protect it from being seen and defend it when it is revealed? A lot of people defend their own sin and they defend their actions and they try to make themselves seem better than what they actually are. When was the last time you abandoned sin in your life? I mean, straight up just abandoned it. God convicted you of it and you left it behind. And then based on those honest answers, are you a good godly listener? 
And so that is the beginning stage because if you cannot be a good listener, then you will never be a good disciple. I mean, imagine when Jesus Christ said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And they're like, "Mm, no. They would not be good disciples. They would not be his disciples. There's many times in the scriptures where Jesus Christ challenged his disciples, and that's our next point here with learning. He challenged his disciples about what they truly believed. So if you are a good listener, then you will be a good learner. And that means learning how to be enlightened by God. When God teaches you something, you do it. He doesn't just teach you something and you think, oh, that's cool. I'm just going to retain that information for later. No, when he tells you to do something and he teaches you, then you actually just go and you do it. Because you truly believe that what you do. Every time. Every time. I mean, no matter what it is. I mean, it, it could be something as stupid as, gosh, I mean, if you're pursuing something in your future, like let's say there's a, what, what's a crazy degree that you know that you could never accomplish? Anybody? Okay, aeronautics. All right. So it would be like, yeah, you know what? Um, I'm going to do that. I know I'm never going to get there, but I'm going to go do that. What? <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah, it's going to happen. I can't do it though, but it's going to happen. I mean, you're sounding insane. It's just not going to work out. Um, or something else that's just really, really dumb. I don't know. can't think of any other dumb illustrations. There you go. There you go. Although some of you may genuinely think that you might be the president of the United States. But let's just say, yep, that's me. That's me. I'm going to do it. No, it's just not. So you truly believe that which you, uh, that which you do. So another good example is, and this is more practical, when you know someone in your life who is very militant against the gospel, they are very aggressive against the gospel, I would say most of you would never share the gospel with them. Like they would be aggressive. Like as soon as you start to mention Jesus Christ, they're all up in your face and they're threatening, threatening to physically hurt you. How many of you would be like, oh yeah, totally me. I would totally go and share the gospel with that person. I know some of you are probably that crazy. But <laughs> Rick would. I know Rick would. Yeah. yeah. I would get loud with them back. Yeah. Like, oh, seriously, if they got like, I don't want to hear that Jesus. I'm like, why? Yeah. Why do you not want to yeah. hear that? Seriously. It is. I had people do that with me. Because you're wired that way. And I think there are very few people that are wired that way. Pastor Tom's one. He would do that. He would be wired that way. And he would go and he would do something like that. Jay would probably do that. Jerry. Yeah. Jerry Carneal would definitely do that. <laughs> I mean, you could have a Brawlers for Jesus club. I mean, that's kind of what it would be like. Yes, exactly. The Jesus Fight Club. First rule Fight Club for Jesus is that you always talk about Jesus. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, in those scenarios, but here, here's the thing, because like in that, in that circumstance, in that, um, in that moment where you have that fear, where it, it ends up backing you down and ends up causing you not to share the gospel, in that, in that situation, here's what you're not thinking. There's coming a day where they're going to die and they're going to hell. And they're going to wish that you talk to them about the gospel. They are. And so which one's going to win? Your fear or your belief in the scriptures and that they need to hear the gospel? And that's a tough, I mean, that's a tough situation to be in. But that's what I'm talking about is that there are truths in the Bible that you need to remember when you get in tough moments or else you're going to back down and you're going to buckle and you're not going to do what's right. You're going to be a sissy when it comes to the things of the Lord. And when you stand before Christ, knowing that you've been a sissy, you're going to be embarrassed. You're going to be ashamed of the decisions that you made. 
And I've got plenty of those examples in my life of where I was a coward. Plenty. And so I, in those moments where I want to be a coward about the gospel and about the truth of the Bible, I have to remember the truth of the scripture. And I have to let my faith in what the Bible says outweigh my fear. I have to. If I don't, then I'm going to be unfaithful. I'm going to be unfaithful. So a good listener becomes a good learner. And that means that they practice what they know. That's letter A. Becoming a learner means practicing what you know. And then as you practice what you know, as you put into practice the things that you know to be true that the scriptures talk about, then letter B, Jesus periodically challenged his disciples about what they truly believed, and it pushed them to action. It pushed them to action. I mentioned this one last week, but let's go ahead and turn there. Go to John chapter 6, because this one is a really, really good one. We didn't have time to go there, so I just mentioned it. But in John chapter 6, so this is the section of scripture that um, Roman Catholics misinterpret and they build their doctrine of transubstantiation on John chapter 6. And that is a um, big word, just meaning that during Mass, Roman Catholics believe that the little wafer that the priest gives to every person during Mass turns into the literal body of Jesus Christ. And then when they drink of the wine from the cup, um, after they bless it, of course, and they do all that, that when they drink of the wine from the cup, that it literally becomes the blood of Jesus Christ when they consume it. So they believe in a form of cannibalism, um, of actually eating and drinking Jesus, which is really strange, but that's what they believe. If you go to the, the doctrine of, of, of Rome, you go and even look it up on their website, it says it very, very clearly that that's what they believe. And so in John 6, uh, verse 51, Jesus says, I am that living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread... He shall live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So he says it very clearly there, and then people think that he's talking about actually consuming his flesh and his blood. And that's why it says in verse 52, The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So they're struggling with it. Verse 53, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. See, that's where the Catholics get this from verse 53 and 54. And then going on 55, For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. So if you just take that alone, they end up believing what we just talked about, the doctrine of transubstantiation. But if you continue, let's keep going. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore of his disciples, his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? The reason why this was a hard saying was because in the Levitical law, it was forbidden for you to eat meat or someone's body, I mean especially, and blood. You were not supposed to do that. According to Levitical law, you did not do that. Even when it came to, like, if they killed, you know, like a cow and they were going to eat the meat or, or whatever, whatever it was, they were not supposed to eat meat that had blood in it. It was against the Levitical law. Much more eating people. Like, <laughs> I mean... It was just like out of the question. And so when the Jews heard this, they're like, what is he saying? 
how in the world are we supposed to eat his flesh and drink his blood? Like, that's what they're literally thinking, which is the same thing that every sane person would think too, by the way. And so then keep going. Verse 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, doth this offend you? I love that. It's like him throwing a little bit of sarcasm in there. What, you're offended by this? And then he says, verse 62, what and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Okay, that was even more offensive than what he just said about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Because, here's why. His disciples believed that Jesus was who? Okay. Who are they waiting for? The Messiah. The promised Messiah from the Old Testament. I mean, the book that Isaiah speaks volumes about. It talks about the Messiah even back when Moses was talking about the Messiah. That a prophet would come like unto me, doing the signs and the wonders, all that stuff. So his disciples believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Now get this. In the scriptures, in the Old Testament law, when the Messiah came, there was nothing in there that said the Messiah would go away. Like there's nothing in there that said the Messiah is going to come and then he's going to leave. It was that when he comes, it's like Isaiah 9. You guys know this from the Christmas stories and stuff that we do. That when he comes, he's going to establish his kingdom and he will rule and reign forever and ever and ever. So in the mind of a Jew, the Messiah was going to come and he was going to stay permanently and overthrow the Roman Empire and set up his rule and reign as the king in Jerusalem and rule the entire world. That's what they were expecting. So when Jesus makes this statement where he's like, does this offend you? What an if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before. Are you going to be offended at that? Because that doesn't say it anywhere in the scripture. It doesn't say anywhere that the Messiah is going to go away. So you're going to be offended at that when that happens? Because it's going to happen because you outright rejected me. That's his point that he's going to make here. And so then he says, after that, verse 63, and this one's the key. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Right there in 63, he says, it's not about anything to do with the flesh. So when he says, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, he's like, the flesh profiteth nothing. And he even says this in other places in the scriptures. It's not about what you consume in your body. Like you can't digest something that makes you holy or you, and vice versa. You can't digest something that makes you unholy. It doesn't work like that. The flesh profiteth nothing. It's the spiritual side. So to consume Jesus Christ, to actually partake in his flesh and of his blood. I mean, think about that for a second. When you eat food, what does it do in your body? You digest it. And so when you digest food, what happens to it? Your body breaks it down and then what? Yeah, for energy. It takes nutrients throughout the body, right? <laughs> so... Yeah, the excess, the waste, the stuff that your body doesn't use is excreted and disposed of properly, right? That's the nice way to say it. But your body breaks the food down and then absorbs it and it actually goes in and strengthens your body. And so theoretically, it is possible you could consume a diet where there would be no waste. I know it's possible. It's got to be possible. That there would be like whatever your body, whatever your body needs exactly is what you would consume. And then it would make its way throughout your whole body, strengthening and sustaining you and giving you flesh, uh, just health to your bones, to your muscles, to everything, to your cognitive awareness, everything. That it's totally possible for you to do that. So in the same way, we are supposed to be so intimate with Christ that we ingest him 
and he becomes part of everything that we do. Everything. Everything. He is the one that sustains us. That's why he's called the living bread, the bread that came down from heaven. Because as you consume Jesus, as you abide in him, as you spend time with him, and the other illustration that goes perfect with this is John 15, as the branch is embedded into the vine, the vine is what gives the branch life. If the branch is removed from the vine, there's no life going into the branch, and the branch is going to die. In the same way, when you disconnect yourself from Jesus Christ, when you stop consuming Jesus in a spiritual sense, when you stop taking your, your daily you know, vitamins and your, 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 your sustenance spiritually, you stop reading the Word of God, you stop praying, you stop spending time with God, you cut off that relationship, you will die spiritually. You will not be fruitful at all. You cannot be a disciple. It's impossible. It is absolutely impossible. The moment you stop ingesting Christ and you let his words get in you and you start doing what he says, you start to die immediately. Immediately. So that's what he's talking about here. And of course, the Jews did not really get that. They didn't understand it, even though he just said the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And then he says in verse 64, it says, But there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? So a huge crowd ends up walking away and says, This guy's nuts. He's psycho. We're leaving. And then he turns to the twelve and says, Are you guys going to go away too? And then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. See, that's important. You may not understand all the doctrinal ins and outs of everything that Jesus says, but do you know who he is? Because if you know who he is, he could say something that could make you go like, what? I don't get it. But you're not going to leave him. Where people that follow Christ, they're like, what? I don't understand. I, oh, forget it. I'm done. I'm done. I'm out. I'm out. I don't. I don't understand it. I don't get it. It seems weird to me. Forget it. I'm done. No, it's not about that. It's not about understanding everything about God. It's that you know who Christ is, and regardless of what He says, you follow Him. And you may not understand everything now, but you will in time. You'll get it in time. Just keep following Him and keep learning from Him and keep growing with Him. That's the point. That's the point that He's trying to come across here in John chapter six. But some just couldn't take it, and the ones that couldn't take it is because they were in it for themselves. They weren't in it for the Lord, or they were in it for what Jesus could do for them. They weren't in it for him because he was the Lord. Big difference, big difference. And so then you got these questions. When was the last time God convicted you about something specific in your life? When was the last time you obeyed and changed your life or disobeyed God's conviction and remained unchanged? And I'm sure you should be able to describe the struggle. Is the pattern of your life to be convicted by God and change or remain unchanged? And based on your honest answers, are you a good, godly listener? Okay. So you have to be a listener in order to be a learner. And you have to put these things into practice and be a good learner in order to become a good laborer. Now, I would say for the most part, most of you are not at the laboring aspect yet. I would say if you were just to answer honestly, most of you are either trying to learn how to be a good listener and just start doing the basics. Um, some of you have been doing the basics for a little while, and now you're ready to start learning how to labor. 
But no matter where you're at, you're somewhere within these three points. You're somewhere. So just be honest about where are you at because you need to know where you're at so that way you know where you're going to go and what the next steps for you are. If you're not a good listener, if you don't listen to God regularly or you're not obedient and submissive in your heart towards God, then you need to start there. If you do those things but you struggle with putting it into practice, then you're on the learner stage. There are certain things that you need to start doing now. Like you know this is true, so then just go do it. And even if you're fearful of it, do it anyway because you're going to learn some great things through some mistakes you're going to make and through successes that you're going to have. And then as you start practicing, then you can learn how to be a really good laborer. So what do we mean by this? This is what it means to be a faithful minister. So becoming a laborer means taking personal responsibility and ownership in the work of the Lord. Becoming a laborer means taking personal responsibility and ownership in the Lord. Go to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3. Personal responsibility and ownership. Ownership. Now, what I mean by this is that when you take personal responsibility and ownership, here's a really good example of what I mean by this. So, is your faithfulness as a Christian dependent upon another person? Is your faithfulness, like today, just being honest, is your faithfulness to Christ dependent upon somebody else in your life? Whether it's, and sometimes, and, and there's a time where that's okay. That's okay. Like as kids, a small child cannot sustain themselves until they've learned all the skills of what it means to live life. You know, they're not able to prepare food in order to feed themselves. But they start to. There are certain things they can do. Like with our kids, they can get up in the morning and they can make themselves oatmeal. And they can get themselves cereal. Super easy. But making eggs? Out of the question. Oh, Lucas is getting there. He did it this morning. He did it? But you watched him. Yeah. Okay, big difference. <laughs> we don't let him start the gas stove and just go to town on it because we know that something with fire is going to be involved and it's not going to be good. But we watch him. We watch him. But we watch what's going on. Right. So in that sense, spiritually, there's a time where you start to learn how to walk spiritually, but you're holding someone else by the hand. Babies do this all the time in order to learn how to walk. They hold someone's hand until they start walking on their own and they get their balance. Spiritually, it's the exact same thing. So there's a time and a place where it is okay for your relationship with God to be dependent upon somebody else. But there comes a point where you need to start walking on your own. And you cannot, you cannot allow it to be something that is dependent upon somebody else. So another good way to look at this is um, if you have good friends that are in here, if that good friend just completely abandoned they stopped coming on sundays wednesdays stopped coming to church altogether would you still continue would you still continue coming would you still continue reading your bible if your parents maybe your parents are super godly and they spend daily time in the word of god and they have a good relationship with god if they just upped and quit in their relationship with god would you follow their lead and be less motivated to be in the bible yourself or would you still do it? This is what I'm talking about. Where you live out your life as a Christian before God because you know it's your responsibility. It's not dependent upon anybody else. It's not dependent upon any church or any person. Or like even in discipleship with the guys that I disciple, if I ask them, hey, how are you doing this week? Like they're, they're not faithful because they know I'm going to ask them, how are they doing? 
Like, I don't want that. Eventually, there comes a point where I should be able to stop asking, and they're just faithful. They should just be doing it. It's called maturity. So, taking personal responsibility. So, in 1 Corinthians 3, in verse 8, this is what it means to be responsible. So, you have those that are laboring. You have those that plant and those that water. We'll back it up another verse. Uh, go to verse 6. I have planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. See, Apollos and Paul, they, were, they worked together, but they were independent of one another. They were not, their faithfulness to God was not dependent upon each other. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. That's very important. You will not be rewarded based on someone else's faithfulness. It's just not possible. You will be rewarded by God based upon your own faithfulness, based upon what you do with what you know, not somebody else. So you need to start doing it or else you're not going to be rewarded. And reward can come in many different forms and fashions. I mean, even just today, if you, if you start obeying God and you start doing the things that are right, what is it going to give you in your life? What kind of benefits are you going to have in your life if you start obeying God today, right now? Peace. Peace. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of peace. What else are you going to have in your life? Strength. Yep, strength. Confidence. You're going to have confidence that keep walking with God. Wisdom, absolutely, because you start putting into practice things, you begin learning and growing. Mm hmm. Yep. Security, assurance of your salvation, because you're doing what God told you to do, because you're walking in step with Him. There's so many benefits you're going to have. So, those are immediate rewards. But God also talks about that when everything is said and done, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ as born again Christians, and we're going to receive rewards. And those rewards are going to be the things that we are able to throw back at the feet of Jesus. We're not going to keep them. There's future things that I know he's going to give us based upon our faithfulness. There's parables to talk about that. Give us responsibility over certain cities and his kingdom and things like that. But you're going to receive a reward, a reward, and that reward that you have, there comes a point where you're able to throw that back at the feet of Jesus because the only reason why you even have that reward to begin with is because he is in your life. He is the one that changed you, that made you, that, that remade you, that helped you to be faithful. So in that sense, it belongs to him anyway. So you're going to give that back to him. And there will be Christians who should have been faithful but weren't. They receive no reward, and they will have nothing to throw back at the feet of Jesus except themselves. Now here's the thing. Jesus is still happy with that because he's happy. He purchased you. He wanted you, and you are enough. He's satisfied with just you. But wouldn't you want to have something to give back to him, like more than that? After all the things that he's done for you, I want to have something to be able to offer back to him to show him how thankful I am for what he's done for me in my life. But there's going to be some that don't have anything because they never labored. Because a laborer is worthy of his reward. Every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. According to his own labor. And we can keep going in this passage because it talks about the judgment seat of Christ. You can maybe look at that later. But go over to chapter 15. Chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> I 
So chapter 15 talks about what's going to happen after we die and the new bodies that we're going to get when Christ comes back, uh, what's going to happen at the rapture. There's some really cool stuff that's detailed in, in chapter 15. And so after he explains all those things that we can look forward to as born-again believers, then you come down to verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, to be honest with you, there are times that we are witnessing to people, inviting people to come to church. For those of us that have had the opportunity to disciple, like maybe some of you have had the chance to disciple a junior higher. Um, if you haven't, then hopefully you will have that opportunity at some point. But when you start doing that, sometimes when you disciple and you start to invest spiritually in people, you feel like you're getting nowhere. It's one of the most frustrating things in ministry. If I based my faithfulness upon results, I would have been done a long time ago. Because I can't tell you, the majority of people that I try to minister and invest my life into, the majority of them do not receive the things that I give them. They just don't. And it seems, just being honest, from the flesh perspective, it seems like it's a waste. Like, why am I doing this? Like, there are some weeks where... And I don't struggle with this major, but there are some weeks that I'm teaching either here and here on a Wednesday or a Sunday, and I might be trying to get you guys to just take that next step and to, and to you know where you're at, you know what you need to do to be more faithful, and, and we get there, and you're like right there, and you see it, and then you just kind of back off. And that majority of you, that's what, that's what you do. It's part of our Laodicean nature. I tend to do that too, but we need to move past those things. And so there are times where I'm teaching on Sundays and Wednesdays where I feel like they got it, but there's nothing what am I doing? Am I doing something wrong? But it's not about me. It's because it's your own responsibility between you and the Lord, your relationship with him and what you're going to do with it. So I totally get all that. But there are times in my flesh where I struggle with, should I keep doing this? Like, what's the point of doing this if no one's listening? And the thing is, is that that's never God's way ever, ever. You just study the life of Jeremiah. God told him to go and preach you know how many people were obedient to him? None. But yet he still went and he preached because that's what God told him to do. And God rewarded him for his faithful labor because he labored faithfully regardless of the results. And so there might be some of you who, well, I try to invite this friend to church, but it just doesn't happen or they keep shutting me down. Or I try to talk to my parents about this and they just keep shutting me down. Or... I try to do this, but it just never seems to work. And so I'm, I'm done. It's very easy to do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because it says right here, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Just because you don't see the results, you share the gospel and someone doesn't get saved, or you invite someone to church and they don't come, doesn't mean that you stop. God sees what you're doing and he honors the fact that you are working and trying to do something for him. He loves that. That brings him joy. When you quit, that brings him no joy. None. You've now eliminated any potential that you have to glorify God because you've stopped. You've quit on God. He wanted you to keep going, but you stopped. It's very important. I've memorized verse 58 because I need this in my life. I need to remember stuff like this. I need to be steadfast. I need to be unmovable. I need to be always abounding. Never quit because my labor is never in vain. I need to remember that. So I have this verse memorized on purpose. Because if you're going to quit, you're not going to be a good laborer because things are going to get tough. They're going to get tough. And then there came a definitive point, letter B, there came a definitive point in the life of each of the disciples where Jesus left to them, and I use that 
I quoted it on purpose because he never leaves us. But in that sense, Jesus left them to succeed or fail in what he entrusted unto them. Go over to John 18. John 18. I want to walk through this a little bit. John 18. John chapter 18. All right. So John 18. Okay, so Jesus is arrested. And all of the disciples flee, all of them. Every single one of them left. And then in verse 15, he's now taken away and he's before Caiaphas, the high priest. And in verse 15 of chapter 18, it says, And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the place, the palace of the high priest. So here, all the disciples leave, and there's two that come back. Who are they? Peter, and who's the other disciple? John. John John is the other one. We know that based on what it says later on in the book. But John is that other disciple. So John was the one that was the closest to Jesus. So when Jesus was arrested, they all scattered. They all left. They all were unfaithful and abandoned Christ. But two came back, Peter and John. Now, John, there's something a little different here in verse 15. It says, So did another disciple, that disciple was known unto the high priest, and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. So Peter stayed outside, and John went in. John was with Jesus every step of the way. He was in the place where the high priest was gathering false witnesses against Christ. He was in the place where they began beating him and scourging him, until he was unrecognizable. John was there every step of the way. Now this was a big deal because John very easily could have also been arrested for being with Jesus and could have easily been crucified. He could have easily been the fourth guy crucified with Jesus Christ on the cross. Totally could have been. And so he knew the risk, but here's what happened. And this is the heart of a disciple. And this is why I bring this up. Jesus is arrested. They're all fearful. They all run. And then as they're running away, guess what happens almost immediately? Immediate conviction because they just abandoned their Savior, their Messiah. And so the first two to come back are Simon and Peter, Simon, Peter, and John. And so then they're at the place where they're at the gate. And John knows he can get in there because he's known of the high priest. And so John's like, come on, Peter, let's go. Peter's like, no, 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 I'm going to stay. And then John goes in alone. And you bet he was fearful every step of the way, but he stuck with him. He was not going to leave him again. So that happened. It's very important. And then take a look at chapter 19. Chapter 19 and verse, um, let's see what's our next one. Verse 26. So John is with him the whole way. And it says in verse 25, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, that's John, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. So Jesus is suspended on the cross, dying. John is with Mary, Jesus' mother, and Mary Magdalene, and they're both at the foot of the cross. Talk about how gut-wrenching for a mother to see her own son dying when he didn't deserve to die. John 
risking again his life of even being there, of being one of the disciples. And Jesus from the cross, because John's there, probably has his arm around Mary, tells John, Behold thy mother, and tells Mary, Behold thy son. And from that day, John took Mary into his own home and took care of her until the day she died. What a blessing that would have been for John. If John would not have been there, he would not have been had the privilege to take care of Jesus' mother until she died. And many people don't even think about that. But because John was willing to risk his own life and to be faithful to Christ and to be there even to the point where he's at the cross, God gave him the blessing of, hey, I'm dying. Could you do one thing for me, John? Could you take care of my mom? I'm leaving. It's my responsibility. I have to take care of my mom. This is Jesus is saying indirectly. But I'm not going to be here anymore. John, can you take care of my own mother? And of course, he's like, absolutely. Because he'd do anything for Jesus. That was an incredible blessing. So he was there for that. He was there for that. And then chapter 20. So they hear about Jesus rising from the dead. And then verse 2. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto him, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we, knew not, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter. So John outran Peter to the tomb and came first to the sepulcher. And he, John, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulchre and seeth the linen clothes lie and the napkin that was about his head not lying with the linen clothes but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulchre and he saw and believed. See, John was the first of the disciples to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He was the very first one. And so I'm showing you all these things about John, and there's more than this, and I put the references on here. You can look at them later. But there came a point where it didn't matter what any of the other, other disciples did. It didn't matter what Peter, who was the leader of the disciples, it didn't matter what he did. John was going to be faithful. Yeah, he ran, but he was the first one to come back. And he was willing to go into the high priest's place and to be with Jesus every step of the way until he was at the cross because he didn't want to abandon his Savior. He didn't, it didn't matter what anybody else did. John was going to stay faithful. And that's the heart of a disciple. It doesn't matter what anybody else does. What are you going to do? And that's hard, and I get it. But what are you going to do about it? Your walk with God is your walk with God. The reason why you are unfaithful is not because of other people. Ever. I mean, even if this church falls apart... And like all your pastors abandon everything that we believe and we just quit being pastors. Like that would hurt a lot of people. I've been in situations and in churches where the guy that's been in charge has, has been has committed great sins, giant hypocrite, and people leave the church and never go back to church ever again. Ever, ever. They never go back again. And they blame that circumstance on their inability to walk with God or their unfaithfulness. You think that's actually going to stick at the judgment seat of Christ? You think like... Jesus can go, oh, yeah, uh, I get it. All right, yep, you were unfaithful for, you know, the 30 years of your life afterwards because, yep, your one pastor fell into sin and, you know, everything. You looked up to him so much, and now that he fell into sin, you're like, oh, giant hypocrite. All Christians are hypocrites, so I might as well not even be a Christian anymore. What's the whole point? I don't even need to go to church to be a Christian. And you just start doing all your, your own thing, your own way, and you didn't do anything for the Lord. Okay, I'll give you a pass. Here's all the crowns. <laughs> no, no, that's ridiculous. 
your faithfulness to God is never dependent upon another person, another church, or any bad experience you might have in your life. No, that is a big giant excuse of why you chose just not to walk with God and it's not going to fly. Your walk with God is your walk with God and there's nothing that you can say to God where you can say, well, I didn't walk with you. I didn't do what you said because of this and he's going to be like, oh, that's fine. No big deal. No, take responsibility. Take ownership. It's your walk with God. Be faithful just because he's worth it and he deserves it. You should just be faithful just because of that. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. He's the Lord. He's asked you to be obedient. So be obedient and just do what he told you to do regardless of your circumstances. A lot of us wallow in our failures, in our sin, and we never get out of this pit and we just lie there like, ah. And we're like these miserable Christians that don't do anything for the Lord because, oh, I'm just not good enough. I'm just not, well, I'm not like that person. And man, I've got all this crap in my life and I just can't, I can't overcome it. And I'm just, and Jesus is like, uh, I've been standing here and I've been reaching my hand out and you're lying there wallowing like an idiot. When if you would just take my hand, I would help you stand up and we can actually start walking together. That's what it's like. That's totally what it's like. And I've been there. I have wallowed in my own weaknesses and my own failures for years at times. And I've used them as excuses to not be faithful to God. And I'm telling you, it's foolishness. That is not from the Lord. God will never ask you to do something that you are unable to do. He will never tell you to go somewhere that you aren't able to go. He's never going to tell you to go accomplish something for him that you're not wired to go and accomplish. And so he's told us to be disciples, and therefore we can. And the reason why we're not is because we're choosing not to. And it all goes back to being a good listener and a good learner so we can be a good laborer. So there's going to come a point, if you haven't had that already, where Jesus is going to kind of leave you alone, and you are going to either crash or burn, or you're going to succeed. And so what are you going to do? Because the laborers, this is the last point, the laborers are the ones worthy of the reward. That's it. The laborers are the ones that are worthy of the reward. That's how it works. Go to Proverbs 24 and we'll end on this passage. Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24. very good verse to remember. Proverbs 24, verse 19. Fret not thyself because of evil men, neither be thou envious at the wicked, for there shall be no reward to the evil man. The candle of the wicked shall be put out. Very important. That's very important. There are times in your life where you look at people that are ungodly and wicked, and it's going to seem as if They've got it, and they've won it all, and they have success, and they have it made. God says very clearly, there shall be no reward to the evil man. None. No reward. So if you want to continue to live the way that you want to live, and according to the evil man, and do all the things that you really want to do, you will receive no reward, because you will live the life of an evil man. Don't be envious of them. Their life will soon be over, and they will have nothing to show for it. They seem like they have it all now, but they have nothing. And for a lot of believers, it may seem like they don't have anything now, but they have everything. So it's very important you guys get that. 
All right, so we'll hit these questions. We'll be done. Are you a faithful? Are you faithful and active in discipleship and sharing the gospel? Are you? Are you following another person, or are you in the place where you are being followed and teaching others how to do the work of the Lord? Do you have a unique ministry where you encourage or edify other believers and share the gospel with the lost? And so then based on those answers, are you a good godly laborer? All right. So how this works in your life is you got to learn how to listen. And you got to learn how to learn, be a good learner, so that you can labor. And then as you labor, God will teach you things that will cause you to go back and to be a good listener again. And keep learning and putting them into practice and being a good laborer. And it just keeps continuing. These three things are absolutely fundamental. If you want to be faithful in your Christian walk, want to be a faithful disciple, you've got to have these three things in your life. All right. We're way over. Let's pray and we'll get out of here. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the things that it teaches us. I pray, God, that these things would be hidden deep within our heart, that we might not sin against you, that we might be fruitful and obedient, and that you would be pleased with our life. Thank you, God, for loving us the way you do and taking care of us the way you do. I pray that we would uh, live a life that would be faithful regardless of the people around us. It doesn't matter about anybody else if we just need to be faithful ourselves. That's what you want. That's what you desire. So I pray that's what we would do. Thank you, God, once again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.